Hi, and welcome to Brothers Without Banners. I'm Dan, and I'm here with my brother Michael to help lead him through his first time reading A Song of Ice and Fire. We'll be diving into the chapters we're discussing today and those we read before, but the only spoilers beyond the chapters we discussed will come from Michael's vague memories of the first three seasons of Game of Thrones, the TV show, which he watched a decade ago. Today we're discussing Bran 6 and Danny 6 of A Game of Thrones. How's it going, Michael? These chapters are boring. (laughs) Just two lonely people longing for (laughs) world building. World building's the worst. This is everything. This is everything I'm all about. Oh, they're smelling stuff and seeing stuff and feeling stuff. We meet so many people. You just hate the episodes where I have things to talk about. I do because (laughs) I have a better sounding voice than you. You know what, Michael? So do our listeners. No, so we only have two company. listeners. It's you and it's me. And when I listen, I want to hear my voice. <laughs> <laughs> you bastard. Uh, should, we, uh, should we jump straight into it? Yeah, I was even going to say, I mean, like, I know you and I have taken, taken a moment off here. Do you want to catch us up where we are? I know we've just been talking to John. We've been seeing some people. What the, What's going on, man? What, what sure, is happening? Yeah. Our, our last episode, we were hanging out with John. John met some zombies. He had a little zombie fight, a little, little zombie tussle. A little zombie fight. We get yeah. those sometimes. It happens occasionally. Before that, we had spent an episode with the girls uh, post-Ned's arrest. Oh, yeah. Sansa Sansa's being a little, a little cherub or yeah. some other she is a C word. Angel. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Can you say that on a podcast? Uh, you know, you you censored yourself. I'll, uh, Thank I'll you. allow it. I did. And uh, and yeah, we saw Sansa. We saw Arya trying to escape that situation. So we're still kind of dealing with the aftermath of, of Ned's arrest here with Cersei and Joffrey grabbing control. And now we're, we're visiting a couple of places we haven't been in quite some time. We're going up north to be with Bran, who we have not seen in, in a long while, and then we're going across the narrow sea to spend time with Danny, who we have not seen since the death of her beloved, dutiful, doting brother Viserra. Well, seems like Dan's computer has given him a bit of a frowny face. So uh, I'm gonna go ahead and do this podcast myself, and I'll do both people. You'll know, try to see if you can tell my Dan voice from my Michael voice. Well, I'm excited that we're going to be talking about Bran today. Ah, Bran, world building. It's my favorite. Blah, blah, blah. He's somebody that can't even walk around. He's probably the person I want to hug the most. All right, Dan. Well, uh, thanks, man. I appreciate your uh, your candor and your, you know, oh, you're, you're back now. Hey, Dan. Welcome back. I filled in some audio while you were gone, uh, so we can probably just keep use that and move forward. Did you use the community song? all right dan welcome back i know a little technical difficulties there we're back you were just saying how these chapters are fun and world building you have things to say and what i have to say is you know what you say about a cereal that gets better when you add two scoops of uh, raisins to it it's a gross cereal dan it's a gross cereal love i love raisin bread (laughs) oh what are you like 90 years old Kind of just like real focused on your poops. I mean, are you not? <laughs> All right. Speaking of poop, let's talk about Bran. Uh, like, like Raising you were, Bran. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> where are we? So we're we're back up in the north, and I think you know you were giving us a little bit of context, and and the fact is, and I, I've used this uh, this illusion a, a few times already, but we're at one of these moments in the book of like it's almost like the chessboard is being reset. Yeah, people are taking Definitely. positions. They're getting ready. Uh, we know the Lannisters have made their move down in the south. We've seen a bit of what their hand is. We assume that they're building up uh, like their arms and things like that. Now we're going up to the north and we're seeing kind of the response that's coming from the Starks. Word is out that these the, like things have happened down in the in the south. And there's a reaction coming right now. And here we are in Winterfell. And obviously from the view of Bran, and what he's seeing is that the place is crowded. They're yes. like filled and filled with people. It actually starts with a some a, a, a clan that I we haven't heard of yet, I don't think, the, the Karstarks. 
The car sucks. Yeah, cer- certainly not in any significant way. If their name's been mentioned, it's been in one of those lists of names that we get. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the house of the car starts is arriving. They, they have just come to join the burgeoning population of Winterfell and the winter town that is, is growing over time. And so you have, as these car starts are arriving, we're seeing their sort of retinue arrive, this entire, I think they said like, I think everybody altogether that's there is like 12,000 strong or something like that. I think they mentioned at some point, but it's crowded. Collectively, maybe, yeah, around 12,000 men have arrived so far. The car starts themselves bring about 2,000 infantry and 300 horse. And I, I, you know, I normally wouldn't single that out, but we did talk very recently about the relative strength of the north versus the west under the Lannisters. And so this is, we're starting to get numbers for the first time. We'll have to keep an eye out for the, the relative numbers of the Lannisters to see how that compares. And we have uh, like an interesting, like a fun foil that's happening through this experience. We're watching all of these people come and it's not just people. These are warriors. These are soldiers. These are different clans sending their men ready to go to battle and starting to head south. I uh, like uh, presumably towards uh, King's Landing, but perhaps towards River Run, but to support Stark interests and go and potentially save Ned Stark, I'm assuming. At the same time, save or retaliate, you know, it's mm -hmm. unclear exactly what the plan or the goal is here, but this is an assault on the honor of the North. Their liege lord has been taken captive, has been arrested, uh, they assume on improper grounds, and they have to go help. That is their job. At the same time, we have this contrast with Bran being a cripple, with just totally be, just being paraplegic, basically. He is watching all these men come, yet he has to ride on Hodor's you know, shoulders, basically. He has a little basket that he gets toted around in. Uh, he talks about, he even uh, mentions to Rob that, you know, he's like, hey, I want to like go out and see, spend more time. I want to go out to the market. I want to go out and see things that are going on. And Rob forbids him to leave the castle. And Bran knows that it's because of what happened in the Wolfswood. This was where those those deserting knights from Night's Watch, uh, and then some of the men from beyond the wall in the north, and then Osha, the woman that we met with them, kind of caught Bran by himself when Rob went off to go try to find the wolves, I think, the dire wolves. Yeah, that's exactly right. And Bran, throughout this whole chapter, and I know I'm kind of jumping, like, like not going chronological through the chapter right now, but he deals with shame a lot. He's really trying. It's his facing what his situation is in a more, what I'd like to say is a manly way. I have to deal with this. I think, I think deals with shame is correct, but not necessarily how I put it, because I think he does a really good job holding his head high. Uh, He is being seen for the first time since his fall. He is, is really dealing with being looked at and being watched and being mocked by these soldiers that are arriving, these military men that he had so long imagined himself as being one of in his future, and has kind of come to a a stoic perspective on it of this is what it is now, and I'm not going to change my life for it. There's a a great moment um, in a couple of pages where he says, in response to the Mongan whispers, he, he ignores them because quote, he would not live his life in bed, which I think is a really great summary. He refuses to hold himself up out of shame. He insists on appearing and standing tall and and being himself with all of the the disability and the the difficulties that that entails. You know, there's actually a sociological term for this. It's the uh, chain male gaze. The chain male gaze. No, you're fine. <laughs> and that's the end of the podcast. And we're done. Just sh- I, shut it down. I, you know, for our, our listeners' purposes, you actually uh, studied sociology in college. I thought you were going somewhere real with this. I was I thought not. that was actually, okay. No, nope, you got me. I got got. You're welcome. <laughs> um, as so, so again, coming back to the chapter, the chapter starts with Bran watching these men arrive. It starts with him dealing with a bit, like starting to deal, and this happens throughout the chapter with his situation and what does it mean to face this shame and to be seen. Yet at the same time, we actually catch him first watching all these men arrive from a distance. He's looking through Maester Lewin's, uh, uh, not monocle, but telescope, Spy basically. Spyglass, yeah. Spyglass. And he's now, you know, it's funny because he's still kind of his childish self at the same time. He's memorizing what all the sigils are. He's yes. recognizing who all these people are. He's 
you know, and it's it's interesting to see it too because it's no longer the people of the stories necessarily that he was like in love with for a while, the sort of romanticized version. Yet it, these are the real people in front of him, not the people that get sung about all the time, but the right. people from his community. I do think it's worth noting specifically with the Karstarks. Uh, we'll, we'll get into the names of some of the houses a little later, but the Karstarks, we learn old man has told Bran that they're actually related to the Starks, as you might get from the names. Uh, going back hundreds upon hundreds of years, at some point, this was a, a cadet branch of the Stark house that split off and went and founded its own thing. Um, but there is a kind of relationship there between between the Starks and the Karstarks names, uh, as that would imply. Right. Um, so you have Bran sort of high up in a window with Maester Luan. They're looking through the spyglass. They're seeing people come in. I. Uh, and he's recognizing and continues to talk about all these people. Not only is there 12,000 here at Winterfell, but more will join them along the road as they go down. This is a war. This is this is how this, this happens. Uh, and Bran's aware of it. Yet at the same time, he's trying to figure out his station. He knows he's about to be put in charge of Winterfell, but nobody's about to be there. Uh, and what does that mean? And how, how does he deal with things while they're here? He tells Maester Lewin, you know, hey, I, I want to I go out and... Maester Lewin says, don't bother Rob. And he says, I won't. I want to visit the Godswood, the Godwoods. Godswood. Godswood, yes. Godswood. Uh, and he does. And he, or he hops onto Hodor's shoulders. Uh, Hodor is becoming a character. I don't know how else to say yes. it. He's he's like, yeah. he's a presence now. This this is a man. It's man. Yeah, suit. it's <laughs> there's a big man. yo, we're gonna we're gonna see some Hodor this chapter. Yeah. And again, we continue through this chapter having this sort of dual experience of vision. We're seeing the world around Bran, and then we're seeing Bran's world as he sees it, right? He's up on Hodor's shoulders. We see all these men as they're leaving. Uh, but then we see like, right, it's more comfortable. He He's more comfortable. Bran is kind of riding on in this basket on Hodor's shoulders uh, than he is being carried like a baby in his arms. Except for when this- Hodor runs him into the... Uh- doorways as he passes through and forgets brand sometimes on his the man forgets brands up there and i get it i get it i do think hodor just in in light of what you were just saying about him becoming a character i think it's really great you know he has the one word that he ever says but you do, really do get a lot of personality out of him over the course mm-hmm. of this uh and really in in particular in this chapter that starts to shine through so i think that that's a good shout so we have hodor and brand heading out to the godswood and they are joined by his direwolf summer uh, and Bran finds some real comfort in the Godswood. He really likes to spend time there, which I think is understandable. It's quiet. It's a place of self-contemplation <laughs> and uh, is away from sort of He doesn't have to be a stoic us. there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, he may be coping with it well and being strong and tough in the face of this, but having somewhere where he doesn't have to deal with it is probably really nice. He's also finding a real relationship and a kinship with the heritage that comes with his religion that's found there. Uh, I like this a lot. He he talks about that he's no longer like as scared as he was about the heart tree and it's sort of weird blood red leaves and staring eyes. Um, yeah, I do have to say it's, it's entertaining that you say this is a place he could go to avoid watching eyes because we got to quote the deep red eyes carved into the pale trunk still watched him. Yet somehow he took comfort from that now, as you were saying. The gods were looking over him, he told himself. Uh, so you have the the eyes, the mocking eyes of the soldiers and the comforting eyes, the accepting eyes of the werewood on the flip side. And I did want to, uh, that drew my notice and I wanted to single it out because this is not the first time we've heard about the werewoods watching. I mean, it's the the Mona Lisa kind of perspective of the eyes mm-hmm. carved into it, but we've heard that from Catelyn, we've heard it from Ned. And we've heard it a number of times from Bran of the werewoods kind of keeping a watch over everything around them. And I think, too, that we also get a sense, and I'm kind of pulling at memories here more than saying it for sure, but, like, I think people who share that sort of being watched by the godswood often have their emotion reflected back to them. The creepy watching because they feel creeped out, the comforting eyes because they're feeling comforted, which I think is a nice reflection of how people feel around religious iconography. <laughs> yeah, it's such a perfect summary of spirituality. There's, there's, uh, you see what you want to see in it. There's a, a certain, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You read into it what it is you're getting out of it. There, you bring, so much of what you bring to it is what you get out of it in that sort of yeah. sense. Uh, and Bran makes a little prayer. Uh, he, he, he prays that, that the gods make, uh, 
make Rob stay. Yeah. Uh, and he, his prayer actually seems to have almost go through three evolutions. Uh, the first is, please find a way to make Rob stay, which I want to point out reminds me a lot of Catelyn's prayer of don't let Bran leave me. Uh, yes. And we all know what happened with that. Well, I mean, do you have a do you have a, a prediction to follow on that? Is Rob about to get pushed out a window by Lord Karstark and his sons having sex in the tower or something? Like, uh, what's I, the what's the correlation here? I think, uh, and it's funny because when I first read it, my first thought was like, "Oh no!" Uh, <laughs> but then, fair. literally, the next sentence is that second part of his prayer, which is, "Okay, but if he has to go, keep him safe." Uh, let, let him let him find safety and oh, let him return. So maybe that's the part that will be granted by the gods. That's nice. Yeah, maybe. And then there's a little bit of a third part here, which is, or at least make Rickon understand that it's going to be okay. Uh, and it yes. turns out that little Rickon is uh, freaking out, man. He's freaking out. Yeah, he really is. He's losing it. Uh, I guess understandably. Uh, and Bran goes on to say this a lot moving forward, but... Uh, Everyone who leaves to go south does not come back. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, and I think that's just a, an interesting thing to take note of. Yeah, this is a good moment to remember the, the time frame that we got from John's last chapter. We obviously don't know where this brand chapter lines up with that John chapter, but we have heard it's been roughly six months since Benjamin left the wall. So we're probably looking at a time frame of seven to eight months since uh, Ned and Sansa and Arya left Winterfell probably been several months since Catelyn left Winterfell. We're reaching a time frame here where it makes sense that a, a little three or four year old, however old Rickon is, would start thinking they're not coming home, uh, which is very fair. And you kind of see this expression of, of the id from Rickon, maybe that mm. underlying difficulty and struggle that Bran is trying to tamp down as a slightly more mature, older uh, child. Whereas Rickon is just letting it loose, letting it fly. And I want to stress on that part too. Like letting it fly is almost an understatement. The kids, he's almost getting deranged at this point. He's screaming and biting and kicking. And it's interesting to see that his dire wolf, whose name is escaping me for the quick, for the moment, but uh, shaggy dog, shaggy dog, but that Rickon himself and his dire wolf are both really getting almost feral. Just refusing to deal with the situation and, and and getting going wild yeah we have this quote shaggy dog is a green-eyed demon and they had to chain him up in the kennels because he's been biting and snapping at people and you know we've talked before about the the dire wolves as uh reflecting their owners um mm -hmm. and so as rickon gets crazier it makes sense that shaggy dog would would reflect that if as ned said the kids have to take care of and raise these dire wolves themselves rickon is not in a state to really keep shaggy dog safe and and yeah. tame at this point in time we have uh brand continues to think about his family and the people around him while he sits in this godswood and moves from rickon on back onto rob and he really does want rob to stay he's i mean kind of thinking to himself about how rob doesn't have to be the one to go uh, it could be somebody in his stead. He mentions Hal Molin. He mentions Theon Greyjoy. Uh, and even, even Maester Lewin had said, you know, to Rob, like, it, it's okay. Why don't you stay here and hold down the fort uh, while all this is happening? Send some people in your stead to be these leaders. Right. To Rob said, there's no way in hell. In fact, he, he kind of calls to the, the, the virtue of his father. My father would not stay behind when there's, there's work to be done. Yeah, what are, what are your thoughts on this decision by Rob here? Uh, do you think he has the right of it, or should he have sent one of his commanders to lead this expedition? I mean, he is quite young and does not have battle experience, which I think is, is pretty crucial. I think that this is one of those things where I'm interested to see future chapters of how things unfold with Rob, and more, again, from a, kind of from a literary sense, more than... Uh, a direct sense. And what I mean by that is this, um, Rob is young, he is inexperienced, and he's been thrown into a situation that nobody would have expected to be put into. With that said, yeah, I think an easy thing to happen here is that he becomes the brilliant young commander, you know, who comes from nowhere and is right. incredible in what he's doing. And um, that's, I'd be okay with it. But that, like, what I'm hoping to see is that he kind of crumbles a little bit and needs to be held up. 
or that he kind of makes mistakes or whatever, but something a little more grisly, I suppose, not that he okay. should die, but I, I don't know yet. I understand his situation. I would be, and in fact, he kind of even speaks to this just a little bit. Not I'm, I'm over, you know, over right. saying it right now, but uh, you know, he does have a, a scared sense of what's going on. He feels the need and the pressure to, you know, be the leader. Yet at the same time, there is a fear. And I, and I like that. It's good to see these sort of cracks behind the armor a little bit as the reader. Uh, and, right. I, and I appreciated that, but I understand what he's doing. I can only imagine being in that situation. And, you know, could you imagine sending everyone, your entire support, you know, family support to, to go fight your war and then, they all die <laughs> like right. like uh or they all become heroes yeah, that's and, very fair and it's just yeah. it seems like a shit situation all the way around you know brand kind of runs through people who have been around winterfell people you can trust from that perspective uh but we actually immediately after this get a much clearer sense of northern politics than we had had before and uh i think that that is also an interesting consideration here where maybe instead of the Halmol and the, the captain of the guard or the Theon Greyjoy, who isn't even a northerner, which is a, a kind of a weird recommendation, maybe one of these other lords that are marching off to battle that are insisting on things could run things. But the flip side of that is how does that factor into political maneuvering? And from that perspective, we've talked so much about Ned's interaction with politics and how he's dealt with things in the South and getting this glimpse of northern politics that we get right here of the kind of maneuverings of the lords against each other and within that system is really interesting to get our, our first perspective on. Yeah, I like that. And in fact, it actually goes right into uh, right into that here as Bran continues to think about this. But as these men have been arriving in the court of Winterfell, uh, some of them, some of the leaders of these men they realize that Rob is the Stark in, in, the, in the head here, but at the same time, Teston, they want yeah. to push a little bit. And, and they also, some of and them see what they things. can get. Yeah, yeah exactly. they're trying to, to almost barter that little bit and see how much they can. And Rob seems to be standing up for himself quite well. And, and Brand points to that as well. You know, Ned Rob is able him. to Ned, calm Ned people. Well. Yeah, exactly. And I think, we have I think a, it's good. Yeah. Well, I was just going to get into the details of it. Yeah, yeah. Jump right we, we have a, this series of stories that Bran retells from as people got there of the various things that people are asking for. So relevant to what we were just discussing, Roose Bolton and Robet Glover, we hear, demanded the honor of command of this military expedition. So in terms of, of giving it to somebody like Theon Greyjoy, a young ward from elsewhere, you can see how that might cause all sorts of problems. And maybe, maybe Rob had other options that Bran was not thinking about beyond the people Bran had personal relationships with. We hear about Mage Mormont. Of course, we know the Mormonts well. We've heard that name many, many times between Lord Commander Mormont and Jorah Mormont over the Narrow Sea. Uh, said he's too young. Rob is too young to give her commands, but she has a granddaughter he can marry. We have Lord Serwin or Kerwin one-upped her and actually brought his daughter along. Uh, she's going to come along in March. We get this very rude, very funny description of her as a plump, homely maid of 30 years who never lifted her eyes from her plate. Uh, so I don't, I don't know if that one's going to distract Rob from, from anything else that he may be focused on. I've seen Tinder profiles that are worse. <laughs> that's, that's fair. <laughs> uh, we have Lord Hornwood who brought gifts and asked nothing in return, nothing but a certain holdfast taken from his grandfather and hunting rights north of a certain ridge and leave to damn the white knife. Um, so just again, getting into these Northern politics, you know, everybody's got these histories and these feuds and various things that they want. And we're starting to get a glimpse of maybe what Ned had to deal with running this realm and, and running this area. And then the final one, Lord Umber. Why, why don't you tell us about Lord Umber, who we get the most information about his interaction with he's Rob a, here. He's a, a big man. He was called the, the Great, great John. John. Yes, it's a great you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> There's a big man. Real <laughs> Hodor thing going on. But he also, he also is just sort of like he, probably the loudest and most aggressive person that we hear about that kind of confronts Rob and is just like, what, what, what's the line I marked it here? It's a uh, Rob was so green he must piss grass. <laughs> Uh, and basically like like goes to approach rob and let me know if i'm getting off track here but goes to say like there's no way i'm gonna follow i'm not we're not doing this and and i'll be damned the day that you, like you, like i let you lead me 
Rob holds it's not his a, place. It's not about Rob leading him as much as he, similar to we heard about Roose Bolton and Robert Glover, he says, I should get the place of honor. I should be mm-hmm. at the front of the march. And uh, and if you don't give that to me, I'm taking my men and I'm going home. I'm not even going to come with you to help Ned. And Rob goes on to say, listen, if go home, as soon as we're done killing Lannisters, we're coming back to kill you. Uh, yes. At which point this man goes and, and basically goes to make a move. And, uh, and all of a sudden, you've got Rob's direwolf just leaps at- upon him, bites off two of his fingers. Yeah. And I imagine to Rob's know. great relief, uh, the reaction from this man is to kind of laugh and then sing the praises of Rob. This is a boy who is not a boy, but a man. A man's a man. Yeah. This whole sequence of requests from people, I think, is such a great note in Ned's favor in terms of training him because in these types of situations you really need to adapt your response to the person that you're responding to and so you have all these political maneuverings people looking for marriages and lands and all of that and here you have a big guy who is clearly focused on martial honor and on strength and strength is met by strength and that's that's what draws respect uh, just as he's saying, you're so green, you, you piss grass, Rob responds in kind. My Lord Father taught me that it was death to bear steel against your liege Lord, but doubtless you only meant to cut my meat. He knows exactly, or, or rather predicts exactly what it is that the great John is looking for here from a leader. I know how to approach this so that you will provide me respect. And it works perfectly. Yeah. And I like to, it's funny because the following paragraph is later that night, Robin with Bran. And again, this is all in Bran's memory, but Rob is kind of confessing to Bran. He's like, oh my God, I thought he was going to kill me. I was freaking out. Like I was really getting scared. And and I like that. I I, I think that's such a, a human aspect of this, of, of this man, boy, Rob, you know, yeah. Stepping into the shoes that are there for him, but still having small feet and still needing to work through that. And he, I think Absolutely. he does it really well. It's really fun to read it. He also expresses in this conversation that he was a little afraid of, of Lord Bolton also, who we've gotten yeah. a few references to. Uh, so I just think it's worth calling that out, too, because this is the one other guy, in addition to the Great John, that really kind of shakes Rob. He says, Lord Bolton never says a word, only looks at me. And all I can think of is that room they have in the Dreadfort, which is the Bolton's castle, where the Boltons hang the skins of their enemies. Uh, and, and I just wanted to give a call back to the beginning when Bran was listing off the sigils. We know that the Bolton sigil is a flayed man, which is, is quite spooky. Bran insists that surely this is just an old man story and isn't actually real. Uh, but Rob isn't sure. And of course, we know that if it's an old man story, it must be 100% accurate, right? It has been so far. <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, and we... we Bran continues in his sort of thought journey through all of this to say that that's the one thing that they definitely all had in common right now. Bran and Rickon and Rob, they really wish their father was home. There's there's an absence here and they all are looking for it. And we actually come to learn for the first time what they do know, which is not much. Rumors on rumors on rumors. Things from everything from from, you know, Ned Stark is dead to Ned Stark led a rebellion and lost. It's really unclear what happened. We also yeah. find out that uh, they received Sansa's letter. Yeah, that's like the clearest, most uh, straightforward information intel that they have here, which is interesting because obviously we know the circumstances that led to Sansa writing that. But at least there are some facts in there about exactly what happened. Um, she says, you know, Ned committed treason, which they do not believe and raises right. all sorts of other questions. But in terms of the king is dead, Ned is in prison for treason and for conspiring against Joffrey. That is accurate. They they can rely on that information. Right. Uh, Rob is also quick to point out that she doesn't mention Arya. <laughs> uh, which is which... also, yeah, that's something Sansa pointed out for herself. That's right. <laughs> In the last chapter, uh, like, oh, crap, forgot about her. The budding charmer that she is. Um, Bran has an interesting reaction to this, though, which is Sansa lost her wolf. Uh, again, I think there's just something really sweet to Bran uh, to bring that up, to mention it, to point it out. You know, Bran, Bran was at that. It's funny. You could think about, you know, the ages of of growing childhood is there's different adulthoods in that. And he seems to be at the adult side of his eight-year-old or nine-year-old self as he is right now, mm-hmm. uh, ready to become whatever, you know, you get into young puberty and all that, you become a child again. But 
but he has he has sort of a soft, gentle wisdom to him about these sort of things. And it, it it's kind and it's innocent in a really sweet way. And it shows a lot through this chapter. Yeah, we've talked about this before, particularly with Sansa's dream about Lady, but there does seem to be some sort of, of portent, uh, some sort of omen surrounding the direwolves and their relationships with them. And the fact that Sansa's direwolf is dead and Arya's is separated from her seems significant for both of their stories. So Bran is really picking up on something... Uh, uh, something meta to the story, something that the reader is, he's kind of our avatar in that sense of mm-hmm. noting, this is a problem. This is something that we should be paying attention to. Moran goes on to really bring out what I had said before, which is this idea that people go south and they do not come back. And he actually goes through a long list of them. Uh, he talked about their grandfather, Lord Rickard, uh, who went down with yeah. his son, Brandon. And they never came back. They went with, uh, what was it? 200 of their best men. None of them returned. Ned Stark went down, Arya and Sansa, Jory Holland, Jory and Holland, and Fat Tom and the rest. Then Mother, Catelyn, and Sir Roderick had gone. None of them have come back. And now Rob means to go. Not to yeah, swear fealty, but to wave a sword. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting to see this list here, because we obviously know Lady, who starts the list, and uh, Grandpa Rickard and Uncle Brandon are all dead. We know that Jory and Holland and Fat Tom are all dead. And uh, Nat, Ned and Sansa and Arya and Kat and Sir Roderick are the ones that, that are still up in the air. Kat and Sir Roderick are out of King's Landing and, and seem to have avoided that fate. But we have a lot of really difficult foreshadowing coming in with respect to all of those characters there. With that said, we're brought back to the present moment. This has all really been in Bran's memory uh, as he sits in the Godswood. And we're brought back to the Godswood with him where he's somewhat interrupted uh by osha osha the woman that was sort of with those those vagabonds yeah she's uh, uh she's one of the wildlings and she was the one they took captive instead of killing out of that entire group that that accosted bran and bran there's there's a kindness that goes on through all of this bran's a little you know stepping away but we find out that osha is very much a prisoner uh i think she's manacled on her feet yeah, she's shackled yeah yeah is it can you call feet handcuffs manacles? I feel like you can. It sounds right to me. I'm going to. Um, All right. But they're they're tight enough that she can't really run or, or do much more than shuffle. Uh, but she shares that these are her gods too. And it's interesting to see this geography sort of thing, that as the further south you go, the less that these gods, these old gods are relevant. But the further north you go, they are. They're very much held close to heart. And in fact, she goes on to share that beyond the wall, these are the gods there. Yeah, they never had the seven and those people enter that world. The the specifics of why she brings this up, I think, are really interesting as well, because she shows up as Bran finishes up his prayer that we were talking about earlier and asks him, you hear them. Do you hear the gods responding to you? To which Bran says, no, this is, it's just the wind rustling through the leaves. But he listens a little closer and decides maybe he can. Uh, and Osha says, you know, I heard you praying. I heard you praying for them to watch over your brother. But like you just said, they have no authority in the South. The werewoods were cut down. How can they watch your brother, watch over your brother when they have no eyes? I'll also, uh, I, I, I kind of love how direct she is about it. She's like, they ain't going to protect him. Yeah. <laughs> the He's boy's going to die. <laughs> yeah, this is, and it's, you know, it's, it's cool to see because Bran obviously and the Starks in general were raised with both sets of gods in their life. They had the old gods from Ned, they had the seven from Cat. Osha is coming from a world where the seven are irrelevant. Nobody worships them there. And so from her perspective, the places where the seven are relevant, the places where the seven are dominant and where the old gods aren't, they have no gods. There are no gods there at all. Uh, so, of course, she's going to say that there aren't gods to watch over Rob in the South because the gods of the South are not real to her. Right. Uh, she goes on to, I don't know the best way to say this. She goes on to talk about the North and North of the Wall. And more than that, she talks about where attention should be. So not only will the gods not be able to watch those that go further South, but the fact is, is that they're going the wrong direction. Before she gets into the specifics of this, she does talk about th- there's I, I'm pressed to say she doesn't use the word magic, but there is a different type of reality north of the wall. There are yeah. giants up there. She says this. This is where we see uh, Hodor comes in naked and she makes her. What, what is it? She yeah, says 
there's a big man. There's a big man. <laughs> I something's happening between his legs, but I don't really know. Uh, she so says he must be part giant, which is how how we giant. transition from Odor's dick into this discussion of magic. It's interesting to see Bran trying to juggle these these contradictory things in his head. He wants to believe in stories. He's told over and over again they're just stories. And now here's someone coming to say they're not just stories. And yeah. how do you I've deal with it. that? She's exactly, she's seen it. She also is bringing, you know, it's interesting to see kind of that, that, that flow of news starting to make its way just slightly further south. John and the Night's Watch has an understanding about this, this sort of, white walker zombie apocalypse that's you know a threat uh, you know this threat of the others that's up there she's now a little bit further south and she's saying this and she is deliberate she is saying you know mance thinks he's gonna win other people think they're gonna win but i know and the people that i was escaping with we're we're running away it's like like beasts running from a fire you need to get out of a dangerous area people that are ready to fight need to head north that's where the war is yeah, and we had kind of had some sort of indication of this before uh, in the conversation between her and the other wildlings, but now we get confirmation of it. The reason why she and her friends came south past the wall instead of going to join Mance Raider is because they have dealt with the others. They know this is real, they know this is happening, and they fled. They went to get behind the wall and as far away from this threat as they could. Yeah. Um, with that said, she makes it clear that like i tried to talk to rob and say this but he didn't want to listen he didn't believe you know, her yeah yeah i don't even think she had the chance i think he kind of just blew her off yeah um, he kind of blew her blew her off she did tell him as you just mentioned he's marching the wrong way yeah and and she reiterates that to brandon kind of asks for him to re-express that to rob if he gets the chance he should not be marching south he should be marching north. That is where the real threat is, the real threat of the others. The others coming and there's zombie army that comes along with them. Bran, in his wonderfully nice way, says, don't worry, I'll pass that message along. I swear, I'll, I'll pass it along. But from there, we cut back from the Godswoods to uh, to the Great Hall, I suppose, of yeah. Winterfell. Uh, Rob, has, who is normally sitting at the head of the table of the entire hall, is not present as he's gone to work on strategy and all of this. The car Starks are there and Bran is there to welcome them. And we're back again with that quote unquote, amazingly coined chainmail gaze. Uh, He hears people whispering (laughs) broken. He hears people whispering, you know, this is not somebody who's whole. At some point there's a conversation that he has with Maester Lewin where they're talking about his future. And Maester Lewin says, well, have you thought about becoming a maester? You know, the, it's a knight of the mind. He always, Brand saying he always wanted to be a knight and now he never will be. And Maester Lewin giving the worst response ever. It's like, well, you're yeah. going to be a knight of the mind. <laughs> yeah, like, that sounds lame as shit. Fuck off. Uh, yeah. And Brand says he wants to learn magic. And in fact, he goes so far as to say, <coughs> he goes so far as to say, the crow told me I could learn to fly. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, and Maester Lewin kind of rolls his ass. Um, yeah, Maester Lewin specifically says uh, magic is not among the things. We, you know, we know Maester Lewin is kind of the logic, ration, rationality-based uh, scientist of the group. And he says, you have, you have other access to things. So I think this is just an interesting moment where we get a sense of what Maester's learned. History, healing, her herb lore, the speech of ravens, and how to build a castle, and the way a sailor steers his ship by the stars to measure the days and mark the seasons. And at the Citadel in Old Town, they can teach you a thousand things more, but not magic, crucially. Not magic. With that said, it kind of wraps up the chapter there. We get to the point where Rob is now ready to leave. Bran has come to say farewells and to say farewell to the entire troop that's about to march out. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rob asks where Rickon is, and Bran says, I tried to get him to come, but he says, I'm not coming down. No one comes back from there, which is ominous. Uh, Bran has again his he recalls his conversation with Osha. Uh, and you know, this you're they're heading the wrong way, but the moment is kind of lost. Rob rides away, cape flowing in the wind, cheers erupting from the crowds as he goes. Yeah. The entire city's cheering. You can hear the wave of cheers follow him as he goes, for only Bran to be left behind in an empty, quiet, and lonely winter. Yeah, he says Winterfell seemed deserted and dead, and we close on a nice little moment for Hodor. Hodor, he said sadly. Hodor, Bran agreed, wondering what it meant. 
which I thought was interesting because Hoder's really just been a name and I thought it was just repeating his name. And it's interesting to think that like, oh, right. He maybe he's trying to communicate something more than just a noise. Yeah, you have to wonder what came first, the name or, or him saying this. Or the it's sound. Clearly, right, it's clearly the only thing he says. Uh, so you can imagine maybe he's called that because that's the thing he says, or she sure. says it because he's called that. It could really go either way. Well, I'm sure we'll never find out, Dan. We'll never <laughs> find out. So we have a couple of, of divergent arcs here. We have yet another character in Rob and his general cast leaving Winterfell, and we have Bran and Rickon staying behind. So I have to ask you, as we come to the close of this chapter, what you think is coming for them. I mean, Bran does not seem to have, you talk about your chessboard reset chapters, and I agree that this is absolutely one, but Bran does not seem to have a clear next step of what's going on with his strategy, while Rob very much so does. Rob is marching off to war. So I, I want to hear your thoughts on each of these characters in turn. What do you think is going to be our future at Winterfell with Bran here? yeah it's uh it's interesting you know it's funny because we have three starks that we've been talking about here right one is rob who's riding off to war and i talked about him earlier i'm interested to see where his character goes there's a very clear memory i have from the tv show from years ago about rob's fate uh which i won't spoil here but like it's hard to not remember it i mean it was an iconic moment in television history uh but with that said like like interested to see and and remember how he performs which i don't recall really right okay. now yeah i we have bran who's up by winterfell and i have this sinking suspicion that he will not be holding winterfell down for long uh in, in not that you know and i don't i don't recall what happens in the tv show with his well, storyline or with winterfell let's 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 move away from the tv show briefly here because you know we have a sense of where the board lies at this point Rob is marching off south mm-hmm. to go challenge the Lannisters, who are our, our chief uh, antagonist for the Starks at this point, but they are very far off. We mm-hmm. know that the neck is in between them. They're kind of messing around in the Riverlands, which is also involved. They do not seem to be a direct assault on Winterfell. At the same time, we do know of threats that are also not particularly close, but maybe a little bit closer to the north from Mance Raider and the Wildlings. We've already seen some Wildling involvement around Winterfell with Osha and her crew. And mm-hmm. then, of course, with the others who we know are, are currently at Castle Black and are somewhere beyond the wall in force. Uh, do you think it's going to be one of those things? And if so, which one? Do you think it's something maybe unnamed that's going to come and threaten Bran if you think that that's where things are headed that maybe maybe Uh flushes him out of the castle and into some more activity rather than, than just sitting here. uh, Honestly, what I, I mean, I mean it in much less of a direct way. I don't really know what the next thing to happen to the North is. Do the others come down? Does a night watch come down there and they need to camp there and they take it over and brand gets marginalized. Really Mm -hmm. what I mean is that with everything that's going on, my assumption is that time needs to pass. before anybody starts to make it back so like you're saying the lannisters are far away king's landing is far far away there are wars to be fought along this and treaties and god knows what and all of this it wouldn't surprise me if it's five years before any stark makes it back at at the earliest and so with that said like that's a long time to sit and i don't know what the storyline will be with bran and and winterfell i imagine that we'll see more about him and there will be more interesting things going on with him than just and he sat um, I will say the Stark I'm most interested in is Rickon. <laughs> like, okay. I want to know what's happening with this kid. Is he just Yeah, he's I, losing his shit a little bit. I wonder if he's gonna start to mirror uh that bratty child from the Eerie. Uh okay. not not in the privileged, ridiculous sense, but that's sort of j- just losing their marbles. Yeah, he a seems bit. a little more definitely losing their marbles. Uh, there's some similarity there. He seems a little more ferocious mm-hmm. than little baby sweet Robin. Uh, who is very fragile. Um, we have that kind of demonic, uh, dangerous energy emanating off of Shaggy Dog that that I cannot yep. imagine Robert Aaron manifesting in any way. But yeah, agreed. It'll be interesting to see how he copes with yet another family member marching away. And I really do believe, and it's funny because we'll talk about the Danny chapter right now, but like, I do believe that these two chapters are not only the resetting of chessboards, but the execution of first moves. Things are going to start moving in certain directions. I don't know. I don't know which way it's going. Interested to see it, but hopefully the Rob campaign will become interesting 
Hopefully, Bran has some adventure that happens with him. Hopefully, Rickon turns into like a vampire or something. I'm excited to see what happens. That would be definitely out of nowhere if he were to be a vampire. So let's keep going. Let's uh, let's move into Danny Six. Danny Six. Danny Six. Uh, man, we start with a beautiful beginning of her just being slammed by her beloved enormous husband. Yeah, he. Uh... He he definitely asserts his authority here. Uh, Yeah, he assumes the position. Uh, The (laughs) fact is, you know what? And I'm going to spoil this chapter. This is kind of a slow chapter, uh, in my humble opinion. There's some fun stuff that happens at the end, but yeah, I was going to say, not the whole way through. No, no, no. But we have the probably move move relatively quickly on this one. I think that's fair. Yeah, and I I think so too. But I will say that that you know we're still in the same place where she's been. She continues to be like a growing pregnant queen and love to call drogo he we we start the chapter with what we find out by the end of the chapter is what this chapter is about which is her saying i think we should go west and go and try to take over king's landing basically it's time for us to i want this throne yeah it's she's not saying it as aggressively she's pretty political like 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 kind of smartly like like doing like a a nice maneuver interesting to see her raise this as the very first time we see her post viserys dying because he had previously been as we Mm -hmm. discussed the kind of driving force behind that push uh that was less of a focus for her and she kind of had an internal debate about whether that was even um where she wanted to be and whether that was even home while Viserys was very much so singularly focused on returning to the seven kingdoms and now that he is gone she seems to have picked up that mantle and we do see her kind of waffle a little bit between this on the one hand she feels the weight and responsibility of being the last of her lineage this i'm the only one to carry this forward i need to go back and reclaim what is rightfully targaryen at the same time she also she even refers to sir jorah saying like he talks he, at one point he says don't worry one day we'll both be home and she kind of thinks mm-hmm. to herself well what is home he's at least got his islands that he goes you know, his home yeah, i have no memory of this island. place this is not not my world at all and and she definitely seems to struggle with that but she does seem to have a, a, a sort of a compass in that direction of saying like i i need this is something virtuous that needs to be done yeah and i think it's that, interesting to see her try and marry that background and being the last of this lineage the last of this dynasty truly with this new community that she's absorbed she asks herself is home based dothrak now for when she becomes a doge Kaleen after drogo passes that right. is a potential future for her and there is something making that not as simple not as straightforward as it otherwise would be we find out that the dothraki really have no idea like first of all while while Khal drogo has no fear uh, he is afraid, like most of the Dothraki, of water. And they use a yes. wonderful line, which is, any water that's poisonous to a horse is not where they want to be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and I like that. Sir Jorah at one point even points out that he says, you know, I don't think he understands what we're talking about. Like, he, I think he thinks of this as some tiny water-surrounded islands. He doesn't understand this is a kingdom right. and a large one and all at, at that. Um, and And Daenerys juggles that in her mind she, she's really trying to think he Khal Drogo after they finish mating uh Khal Drogo gets up to go on like a, <laughs> on, on like a hunt of some kind and she's like I hope I hope he's victorious because he's in a in a really good mood when he comes back victorious I'll, I'll try to bring right. it up again um but while he's gone we we come back to the fact she really is quite quite pregnant right now I uh, she's feeling it she hears that there's going to be, uh, what is it, the Western Market is, is yeah, happening. Yeah, Jorah suggests, let's go check out the Western Market, which, again, just as a reminder, is, is the market that trades with the free cities and then beyond that with Westeros. So this is, uh, unlike the Eastern Market, much more oriented to her background and, and kind of the culture that she comes from is a more comfortable place for her than the the Eastern Market, maybe to a lesser degree, because she's getting more and more accustomed and embedded in Dothraki culture, but this Dothraki itself. Jorah says it would be fun to go. We can relax there. It'll be a nice time. Plus, we can meet up with Merchant Captain Bayan... Oh, I don't know how to say that. Votorous voice. I'm going to be honest. I didn't even write down the name. Uh, So you're ahead of me on that one. That's usually my job. Um, But yeah, he he wants... Jorah wants to go check and see if there's any letters from Illyrio or or anybody else for them, which would have been brought by the captain of the merchant caravan. Right. I... 
they go, there's some language about how she goes. I don't think it's all that important. They, they make it. She's super pregnant and achy. She's excited to be around something familiar. We really do come to understand just how assimilated she's become in Dothraki culture, uh, which is great. We've been seeing that already. Um, I will say, so, so she gets to the market and she's kind of playing around the market. I will say, I put a note early here. I was like, huh? assassins this is a place for assassins what what made you say that just the market in general i uh, that it's all westerners okay. uh and yeah, that, that we know that there's been a call to to murder daenerys right uh, of course from, from, so i will know, note I, I, here just yeah, for your attention uh as they get there jorah leaves to go talk to the captain and check for yep. any mail and Danny's like, oh, great, I'll come with you. And he says, absolutely not. And, and we have even Daenerys kind of notes that this is a little strange. Uh, she says, curious. Um, so there's just that brief moment of, of foreshadowing there as well. Obviously, we know that the news of Daenerys' pregnancy came through Ser Jorah himself, who is serving as a spy of sorts for Varys. And I'll say to put in a bit of a chronology here, we have uh, her, she comes to the market and, and the quote here is, a hundred mer merchants and traders were unloading their goods and setting up in stalls they arrived, from which they arrived. Uh, yet even, none of this is English that's coming out of my mouth. I'm gonna try this again. Yeah, A hundred merchants shot. and traders were unloading their goods and setting up in stalls when they arrived. Yet even so the great market seemed hushed and deserted compared to teeming bazaars that Danny remembered from Pentos and other free cities. It was here that I wrote assassins. I was like, ooh, question mark, assassins. Yeah. Look at all these people. They're all coming oh, from the people. West. Like, go Little figure. Quiet. A page Early later, yeah. my note is Jorah says no. So I'm thinking assassins, and all of a sudden, the man who is the spy for King's Landing is saying, like, I'm going to go see if there's mail from Illyrio. No, do not come with me. Right. I'm going to go. Like you said, she notes it, but she kind of waves it off. Okay, maybe he thinks I'm too pregnant for it or whatever. But so, so it's worth asking because we've been hinting at how this chapter ends already. Uh, what do you think is going through his head at this point? Does he know of the plan? Is he going to see maybe if the captain of the group knows? The, like, is he going to see if there's something, if there's a play on? Uh, or does he already know it's happening and he doesn't want to be involved? Uh, what's... What's his thought process here when he tells her to go out and do her own thing? Well, my assumption originally was he's making room for the assassination. Like, mm -hmm. like he's been the spy. He's the one sharing this info. And he's saying, don't come with me. I want you to stay where you are and vulnerable. And I want deniability. Right. But it's not that I failed. He was also mm -hmm. the one to suggest that they come here to begin with. Uh, right. You know. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, And so it sense. all seems quite quite suspicious i'm gonna fast forward just a little bit she hangs out in the market basically she's hanging she's playing with stuff she's looking at stuff uh and then she comes to a wine like seller but with an s wine seller vendor yes sommelier merchant uh oh yeah i like that yeah he's, uh, uh he's really telling us about the notes and the flavors and i thought you know there's there's a fun little play that goes on here uh where you know she speaks sort of the local free the free tongue if you will Anyway, she, she ends up in front of this wine cellar. And, and I'm going to say right now, as I go and explain this, I think this is a pretty dumb, like, uh, like of all the ways to be an assassin, to set up a booth and hope your, your, your mark comes to you. <laughs> Seems like, okay. you know, <laughs> this gives, this gives some credence to your interpretation of, of Sir Jorah's approach. Right. That maybe this wine cellar thought he had an inside man who could direct her to the right place. And of course that doesn't end up happening, but thankfully... Uh, she finds her way there anyways. Um, but you're definitely right. This is is not necessarily the most productive of approaches to an assassination that I've ever seen. Skipping through all of the bells and whistles, the fact is, is that this wine cellar seems to realize who she is and says, I've got a very special wine for you, the Targaryen queen. And right before she tastes it, Sir Jorah comes back and says, stop. Don't drink that. <laughs> you, the wine guy, you taste it first. Yeah. Uh, he tries to push it away and says, no, I can't. I'm too blah, blah, blah. It turns out it's poison. It's fucking poison, Dan. Yeah. It's poison. Well, we've been he talking about it for fucking 10 minutes already. It's poison. He's trying to poison her. <laughs> Spoiler alert, Michael. 
I sure enough, the man tries to run away. He's captured. I think it's one of the guards that she has uses his whip and brings him down. And we have Danny kind of goes into this, uh, goes into this moment saying she feels something she hasn't felt in a moment, which is fear. And mm-hmm. it's actually a different fear than she felt around Viserys waking the dragon, but a fear for her unborn baby. There's a moment where she's pushed. She's afraid she's going to fall on her belly. She doesn't, uh, but she's feeling it. She, she's, she's pretty pissed about this. Um, she, she, she basically asks Sir Jorah, like, what the heck is going on? And he says, you know, I, the letter from Illyrio that I supposedly just got warned me that there were people coming to kill you. So I mm-hmm. didn't know that this man had poison, but I knew that there was a threat. And then I, when he refused to taste it himself, I knew that he was trying to kill you. Right. The usurper. She said, did the usurper do this? He said, yeah, the usurper obviously being whoever's on the throne. So do you think that letter's real? Do you think there was a warning from Illyrio uh, about this plan? Or do you think this is just him working off of his already knowledge of, of the order from Varys? I don't know. And I do want to stress that, like, this is one of those situations where we're seeing, like, the the sort of four sides that somebody could be fighting for right now. Mm-hmm. On the one side, we have the the throne, Robert Baratheon, as far as Sir Jorah under knows, as I'm assuming, right? Like, like right. as yeah, whatever it doesn't words. seem like the news has reached them yet. Uh, and maybe you know, Sir Jorah really just wants to make it back home. You know, he wants to you know anything to get him amnesty and and come back. Uh, yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to do with his loyalty to Robert. Right. The other is is that maybe he's a spy, but he actually really does love where he is, and he's actually like like double crossing he's a double agent okay the other is maybe he's just fighting for himself and he's trying to position himself to be even better in the eyes of you know uh you know caldrogo and everything that's going on here and he's yeah, just kind of playing playing the field the best a, he can. probably a plus for him and his standing at this court of the dothraki i will say there's a fourth option here that i think is interesting which is we know that Illyrio and his mystery friend that he was talking to in King's Landing, there's some other players at the table that are behind a veil, mm-hmm. which I'm going to just refer to as the Illyrio side, right? Like whoever this is. And I wonder if Sir Jorah might be part of whatever this mystery side is. Maybe he did okay. get a real letter and he said, now we don't want her to die. Get back and make yeah. sure that she's okay. safe. I mean, we do know from from the comments from Illyrio, we got the impression that he was genuinely working on Danny's behalf. Uh, So there is a real possibility that he hears about, you know, this Mm -hmm. offer of a lordship and thought I should go and warn her. Uh, And certainly Jorah, whatever his original intentions reporting to Varys were, does intervene. Uh, You know, it's it's not totally clear why. And I want to get your thoughts on on why maybe he changes his position or or takes a different approach or whatever it may be. Um, but it's entirely plausible that Illyrio heard about this possibility and said, let's talk to my inside guy as best I can and, and, and try and short circuit this. And yep. Jorah, for whatever reason, decided to change where he had been earlier and, uh, and, and really tolerate that. Honestly, though, my thought is that it's a lot like that episode of Community where Jeff Winger makes up a night class to get a credit and then it turns out there is a night class that Jeff Winger doesn't know about. And by the end, the Dean doesn't even know whose side he's on. Everybody shoots everybody. Yeah. Yeah. That's so episode. that's that's kind of my feeling right now. I'm sure okay. that there's something else going on. But like, I don't know. What I do it's know like is a, that it's like a triple, quadruple, quintuple cross. Yeah. I will say that Sir Jorah does seem to be quite team Danny right now. In general, he seems to be very much on her side, protecting her, he giving her, her good life. sage advice. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and but even before that, I mean, he's pretty anti-Viserys. You know, he's he's not trying to like cause shit between Danny and and Khal Drogo. He's not, you know, giving terrible advice. He's really a good a good advisor to her completely. And and I think that's something to be noted. All right. Yeah, that makes total sense. Danny gets back to whatever home base or whatever it's called. Uh, to you know after this whole ordeal and she has a weird thought and she says you know what the usurper has woken the dragon now yeah the usurper said and then she looks you want to mention oh go ahead yeah just quickly before we get there it's just a very funny note where jorah says the letter he got explained that the usurper had offered a lordship to anybody who killed her her baby or viserys 
Danny thinks to herself, well, he owes Lord Caldrogo a lordship now because he's already right. killed Viserys. So, you know, uh, Robert's not around to follow through on that, but maybe Cersei will uphold I'm, that I'm side sure of the bargain. I'm sure she will. She seems honorable. Um, but with that said, the dragon has been awoke. And uh, she Woke looks dragons. around. <laughs> they hate them in Florida. Uh, <laughs> this is a woke nation, Dan. Uh, <laughs> She looks around, she sees the beautiful dragon eggs that Illyrio gave her and says, I know what to do. And she says, Sir Jorah, turn on the heater, light the fire. And he says, isn't it super hot? And she says, I'm cold, do it. And then get out. And then she takes the eggs and says, this is probably silly. Or maybe it's not. And she puts the eggs that she has, the dragon eggs on the fire, Dan. And you know what happens? Not a goddamn thing. <laughs> and it's a That's real letdown of a moment. True. What? What happens? They kind of drink the heat, right? The black scales seem to glow as they drink the heat. There's just a very pretty moment. You know, she kind of thinks maybe I'm going to destroy the dragon egg by doing this. But, you know, Michael, I don't know if you've heard this before. Fire cannot kill dragon. Dear audience, you cannot see the video right now, but my eyes are rolling so hard they're making noise in their sockets. I'm they don't need to drink the fire. She put rocks on a fire. <laughs> nothing happened. I had to read two pages of nothing happening. This is yeah, the definition no, of this chapter right now. Nothing. There was an assassination attempt. What are you? But it was a lame about? one, Dan. Okay, a sommelier attack. Sommelier fan fiction right now. You know what? This is exactly <laughs> the quality of assassination attempt I would expect from a sommelier. Yeah, exactly. Garbage. They're like, nobody would expect the wine. <laughs> <laughs> the oldest trick in the book. And the only thing you have to offer is the fucking wine. Of course you're using the wine. They're like really digging deep into their arsenal. They're like, what if I do it with wine? I'm like, oh, so yeah. Shit. Way to go. useless. I actually agree with you on this. Um, but with that said, like we talked about, we, we're now getting to the end of the chapter. The, the fire goes out. The eggs kind of sit. It's fine. Nothing really happens. But Khal Drogo returns from his hunt, and we get this sort of book end to the book start that we had uh, at the beginning of this chapter, where he comes back and he's excited. He had a fun hunt. Book end to the book start. Yeah, I said <laughs> the it. worst turn of phrase we've had on this podcast. <laughs> Nobody sorry. expects the sommelier. <laughs> <laughs> Finish what you were saying. I'm, I'm going to book end my book start, Dan. Uh, book end that book start, baby. <laughs> uh we should make t-shirts t-shirts <laughs> all right yeah uh, but lo and behold the end of this chapter finishes the beginning conversation cal drogo returns he's fun and excited he had a fun time only to find out what just happened to his wife and he turns around without pause without consideration and says i'm going to get my wife that iron throne that iron chair or seat or whatever he calls it mm-hmm she wants it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to float on the ocean on those wooden horses. I'm going to go get it. And uh, and that's what they do. They like start the next day. They start riding to, to go. So you've got what's funny is the end of this chapter of the two chapters that we read is like the North Starks are and, and their clan are riding down to King's Landing. The, mm-hmm. the, the Dothraki are riding to King's Landing. It's a big uh, it's like a Hobbit war. Did, did this guy you think this guy read the Hobbit? Whoever uh, I think he probably did. Yeah, if I had to guess. That's weird. You know, I, stop me if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but uh, it, the podcast that we are based on, uh, the Wheel of Time podcast that I listened to, that I stole the idea from uh, and really appreciate, they are both big Harry Potter fans. Uh, mm. And it comes up regularly on the podcast, less so recently, uh, which I'm thankful for. Uh, but putting that aside, uh, for a long time, whenever they would make reference to Harry Potter, they would take a shot. And it, I think it became a drinking game for people listening to the podcast. I've never participated because I listened to it by myself in the morning when I'm going to work. Not the greatest time for shots. But regardless, uh, there were a lot of moments where they said, oh, this reminds me of this moment from Harry Potter, which came out much later. And somewhere early on in the podcast, they went and looked up if uh, uh, J.K. Rowling had ever referenced Wheel of Time as, you know, a fantasy book she had read, Lord of the Rings, Wheel of Time, Game of Thrones, whatever else. These Mm -hmm. are things that I drew influences from. And apparently J.K. Rowling has on many occasions said in interviews, I've never read a single fantasy book of any kind. I came up with this all all by myself. 
uh, I have no influences and none of this is part of it at all, which if you've read the Harry Potter books, there are so many direct pulls, especially from Lord of the Rings, that it's just nonsensical. It's completely not believable. So anyway, that's where I go with this. Uh, my guess is uh, George R. R. Martin has read the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion. He has referenced them many times in interviews and credits them directly. Uh, you know, when I go back though, I think for a woman who's like key tricky thing with writing is to say like Diagon Alley from <laughs> diagonally. Like I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, you should maybe she did come up with this all on her own. Maybe she should have read some more fantasy. Yeah, read some <laughs> fantasy. Like even just for naming conventions, like really? This is what you're gonna write the word backwards and call it a street name? Like a little quick, man. All right. I'll say to you. Know, that's actually fair. I like the idea of taking a shot during references. I think anytime we bring up community, we should take a shot. Oh man, we're gonna die. Do, 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 do. Um, uh, yeah, maybe next time. That's, with that uh, said, that rounds us out of this chapter. It was a pretty tight chapter and where it was going. But like like the last chapter and like we've been talking about, the chessboard has been set and now is in motion again. They've been staying in uh, wherever this is, the Voss Dothrak or whatever it's called. It's Dothrak, yeah. Uh, and, and now they uh, leave. Now they're leaving. Now they're in motion. And I think it's just uh, it's exciting to see where this is about to go. So, yeah. So, so that, of course, brings us to our typical question at the end of chapters uh where is this headed do you think we're seeing danny and king's landing is that maybe going to intersect with rob's invasion um or do we have other steps to take in the meantime well i uh i don't know and i know i did this last uh, moment ago but like i don't remember from the tv show where they go i don't remember a baby involved in the tv show but i don't remember her being pregnant like i think that we're yeah. we're, we're splitting I think we're, starting, we're starting to diverge pretty seriously yeah. so you know i'm not trying to challenge you on what you're thinking of or what you're remembering but i do want to specify that and make very clear uh that we're reaching a point especially as we yeah. get towards the end of this book where things are going to start moving in different directions. And, and I would strongly recommend you stop relying quite as, as yeah, no, no. And it's really just for, for, on there. for contrast. I, I don't know. I'm hard pressed. It seems like the, the, the key, like kind of the core, you know, conflict here is who's going to hold the throne. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you get all of our characters there at the same time too fast, there's not a lot of room for a lot of books. And I know there's a lot of books. That's fair. Yeah. I don't have, th there's no indication to me about where this is going. I, uh, yeah, they're going to go towards King Le King's Landing. And I guess that's where they'll go. I'm a little hard pressed to think they're going to make it there or in any kind of quick time or sense, but I have no other idea where they'll go. There's been right. one direction on Danny's mind and it's West. Yes. And that's where they're going. All right. That is uh, that is very fair. We'll have to see where she lands the next time through and, uh, and what that looks like in her next chapter. But that's not where we're headed next. We're going back to Westeros for a couple oh, of hours. Back to our lovely sea names. Yes, we have uh, Catelyn Seven and Tyrion Seven. We're, we're seeing where he landed after his foray into the mountains the last time we hung Ooh, out i miss Tyrion. i'm glad to be back with him it's been a while it really has well sounds good michael i will uh i will talk to you next time maybe we'll even be recording our next episode in person Ooh, shots 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 <laughs> sounds good i'll uh, i'll talk to you then <laughs> that's all for this episode next week we'll be discussing two chapters a game of thrones catlin 7 and Tyrion 7 if you enjoy our episodes please help us out by subscribing and rating the podcast and tell us your feedback or thoughts or any questions you have for us on twitter at bros with banners thanks as always for listening